I'm Gabriel Spitzer, and this is Transmission. Tammy Edwards survived COVID-19. It was miserable, but she made it. She had hoped that once the virus ran its course, she could get back to her life and her work as a nurse in Tacoma, helping other people. I think people need to understand that um, a majority of people are going to have that two-week period where, you know, they have the sore throat, the, the fever, whatnot, and then a couple weeks, they can probably go back to work. You know, that's fine, but um, be ready for the chances that you're not going to be that person. The guidelines from the CDC suggest a typical person sick with COVID should get better after a week or two. Tammy Edwards is three months past that point, and she is still recovering. As a region and a country, we've been fixated on the first wave of infections, a second wave maybe, but there could be another wave, off in the distance, of long-term health complications and disabilities that could be with us for a generation. On today's episode, The Long Recovery, what we know and don't know about that distant wave and why getting better from this virus is, for some, just the beginning of the story. We're learning more every day about how COVID-19 affects our bodies, not just the lungs, but the heart, the kidneys, the brain. In a little bit, we'll check in with doctors around our region on what they're seeing and what they're expecting to see down the line. But first, we join Tammy Edwards, the Tacoma nurse. Back in January and February, before the country had woken up to the magnitude of this pandemic, Tammy was already nervous. Ryan and I bowl on a bowling league, and um, I'm the secretary treasurer, and, you know, my friends know that I'm a nurse, so they were saying, have you heard about this virus out of China? And I was like, yeah, I've actually been kind of researching this, and they said, are you scared? And I said, actually, I am. Tammy knew that she was at high risk working at Tacoma General, where COVID patients were beginning to trickle in. She took all the precautions she could. She'd strip off her scrubs immediately when she got home and jump in the shower, She'd keep her distance from her husband, Brian. But then in early April, Tammy's luck ran out. Here is her story. Kind of hit me out of nowhere. I had the aches, the pains, the the fever came, um, uh, the flu on steroids. I had to work that Thursday, Friday. So I called my boss on that Tuesday and I said, listen, I'm sick. The 8th of April, I was uh, swabbed for corona. I also received a letter that day saying that I was exposed at work. Uh, Friday the 10th of April, I received my results and they said that uh, I had tested positive for COVID-19. I had um, lost my sense of taste and smell. I felt I, I was deathly ill. Um, my husband, Brian, he began to have the same symptoms as I did. His fever was a little higher and I was still sick. We were tag team sleeping because, um, we had both been hit so hard. We thought we were going to die. And come Sunday morning, uh, he had probably been up for about almost 48 hours straight. He was literally dying in front of me. He was hallucinating. I don't know who he was talking to, but, um, I called 911 and they put him on the gurney and I knew I couldn't go with him. And I said, um, I love you and don't give up. Um, and they didn't think he was going to make it. I posted, um, on Facebook a couple days after he went to the hospital 
I was, as a nurse, I was tired of hearing people say, this is a conspiracy, this is a hoax. So I'm like, no, I'm gonna share our story. Um, with HIPAA and being a nurse, you can't share stories. But as a wife of a patient that's in the hospital dying, I thought I need to do this. And so my first post went um, viral, 28,000 shares across the whole world. A few days ago, I saw a Facebook post that truly broke my heart. A Tacoma General Hospital nurse had shared that she was fighting COVID-19. Edwards immediately thought of her husband, Brian. Could he be next? I was just so scared. He's now on a ventilator. Brian received plasma, rich with COVID-fighting antibodies, and doctors put him on the experimental drug remdesivir. Yes, hello from Puyallup, where we have that good news story you've been looking for, a dramatic reunion unfolding behind me. <laughs> Tammy, I can see by your eyes that you're smiling. I am smiling. It's a very good day. <laughs> What's on your wish list, Brian? What's the first thing? Sleep in my own bed. Yeah. All right, he's tired. <laughs> It was a long road. Um, he had lost 50 pounds, 50% um, of his muscle mass. And um, I have a little bit of PTSD. Um, I was worried about caring for him and still taking care of myself. Well, here we are, what, 14 weeks out? And uh, I'm, still, I'm still not feeling well. I'm symptomatic still. I'm having to see a neurologist. I'm having to see an ENT, ENT specialist. I have to see a pulmonologist. Um, it's not uh, a two-week blanket uh, flu-like thing. It's, it's still every day. You feel it. You feel the shortness of breath. You feel um, the headaches. I've had a headache now for two days straight. I've had a rash. I have had um, ear ringing. I still can't smell. Um, but COVID's very sneaky. There's um, people that are having neurological problems they don't see it on an MRI or on a CAT scan, um, but they're seeing autopsies and they're finding it in autopsies, but who wants to wait that long to figure out, you know, what the hell's going on? I, there's a couple groups on Facebook that I joined. One was Survivor Corps and one's called Long Haulers. Um, Survivor Corps, a group that I probably joined about eight weeks out when I joined it, there was probably 45,000 people that were in it. Um, and now there's like almost 60,000 people. So just from the groups that I'm in, there are tens of thousands of people that are suffering or dealing with this like I am. And we have no idea what we're supposed to do. And these people aren't in the medical field like I am. And I know what it's gonna take. We're not gonna have answers for years. I don't believe that God gives us more than we can handle. And I feel like me helping others and me being able to answer people's questions or guide them into emergency services for, you know, go to the doctor now, you know, your, your spouse or your partner's failing, go. Um, just having people look up to me and say, you know, that I've helped others. It's, that's what's keeping me going.
That story was produced by Posey Gruner. So how typical is Tammy's story? Well, of course, we don't know yet. And that's sort of the answer to most of our questions about long-term recovery from COVID. It feels like eons ago, but this disease is still so new. This was all just theoretical until a few months ago, when the first flood of cases hit Evergreen Health Medical Center in Kirkland. Dr. Michael Bundesman was there. I think the first diagnoses were made on uh, February 29th, and I took over the ICU for about a week, a couple of days after that. And was admitted to Evergreen Health with a pre-existing serious respiratory issue. That patient has died, marking the first death in the United States of someone who tested positive. When patients here at Life Care Center of Kirkland Nursing Facility are overcome with respiratory symptoms, they're rushed off to Evergreen Health Medical Center, less than two miles. I saw a fair number of Life Care Center patients. Um, They were the large bulk of the initial wave that we got. It was a preview of what was to come all over the country. ICUs pushed to the brink, health workers having to improvise protective equipment. It was chaotic, even if Bundesman tends to talk about it in the matter-of-fact way of a veteran critical care doctor. You know, I think if you're not in the situation and you look at somebody who's in it, the question is like, how do you do this? But when you're in the situation, how can you not? These people need care, and we're, we're here to do it. Bundesman is a lung specialist, and he knew that acute lung disease, the kind of thing that puts you on a ventilator, can have distressing long-term effects. It wasn't clear what that would look like for severely ill COVID patients, in part because at the beginning, not that many survived. You know, early on, we didn't know how many people would recover. There were some studies from China that showed that the vast majority of people who were placed in mechanical ventilation died. Um, That is not our experience here in the Seattle region. Even those with risk factors and are into their 60s and 70s and older, we've had people come off the ventilator that are into their 80s. The majority of people actually get out of the ICU. Now, months later, we're starting to learn what happens to those patients once they're discharged. It really is surprising to them how long it takes to recover for the people who have mild symptoms. Uh, And so when you look at people who have more severe symptoms who may be on the ventilator for one to two or more weeks, their breathlessness can last much longer. You know, in clinic, I saw somebody yesterday who was one of our early patients, and he was on the breathing machine for about 10 days. And he was still 15 pounds less than his baseline weight and still had uh, weakness and was trying to get his physical strength back, even though he had been back to work. And, and this is three months out. Being parked on a ventilator for days or even weeks is all by itself a massive blow to both the body and the brain. There's a whole name for this, post-intensive care syndrome. It includes things like muscle weakness that can last for a year or more. But there are other, less obvious effects, too, and that's what Michael Bundesman is most worried about. I think it's the obvious thing to ask, you know, with the long-term effects on people's lungs. um, It's less obvious to think about what the long-term psychological uh, outcomes are. That's some of the data that I would like to see. You know, during that period of time, they're usually paralyzed and sedated. And then, you know, five to ten days later, they may not recall where they started or how they got there. Lance Paddock is an anesthesiologist with UW Medicine in Seattle, and he's been there countless times when a patient wakes from the induced coma. And the moment they realize that they can't speak or communicate with their environment, they realize they have no connection to the outside world. 
They have no ability to get any of their needs met, any of their questions answered. The alarms are going off. They don't know if it means they're dying. Paddock says the experience can be deeply traumatic. The helplessness, confusion, and alarm can leave psychological scars. Not to mention that a lot of post-ICU patients also have cognitive issues, trouble with thinking or memory, or even dementia-like symptoms. Paddock says the particulars of COVID-19 only make it worse. Now you have COVID, and you've got all these patients with post-intensive care syndrome, PTSD from ICU experiences. Now you've got COVID. You've got strict isolation protocols, scarce resources, providers hesitant to walk in and out of rooms. They have no access to outside uh, people. So, And we already know that you're more likely to be delirious if you are isolated. Just that factor alone. Paddock says the struggles that people have after the ICU was already a huge and underreported problem. Now, it could be another looming crisis. You really end up with this silent pandemic. It's never really quite hit the mainstream media. But this is something that should be on scene in every single day, this other silent crisis. A lot of what we've learned about the novel coronavirus in recent months has shown how devious this disease can be, how it's not just a lung disease, that it affects everything from your heart to your nerves to your toes. Dr. Raj Gaol of Peace Health in Bellingham says for each of those domains, there are possible long-term complications. Whether it's your lungs causing acute respiratory failure, uh, it affects your heart causing a condition called myocarditis, where, you know, from a normal squeeze of 60%, you're down to 10 or 20%. We know the virus does damage and we deal with it. And then on top of that, one's own immune system just goes haywire. Of particular concern are the weird things the coronavirus does to the blood and the cardiovascular system. That includes causing small clots, which can trigger a mini stroke. We know small strokes can occur in people and you may not have any symptoms for a long time, for years. Let's say next year we'll find out there'll be a study that comes out. Hey, by the way, there were a thousand people during that time with either headaches or, you know, short-term confusion. And over time we have realized this that they suffered many strokes. It's worth remembering that so far, it appears the vast majority of people with COVID-19, especially people with mild or no symptoms, will recover from it like most people do from the flu. But the numbers are just so staggeringly high, three and a half million Americans infected with no end in sight, that even if a small percentage of those people have long-term issues, it makes for a huge public health problem. There's no doubt that that we talk about this as a generation-defining disease. And, and, you know, we are still in the midst of this. We are, you know, nowhere close to finishing off the early phase, unfortunately. Preparing for that hazy, distant wave, the expected long-term complications and the ones we haven't thought of yet, means a more comprehensive approach to follow-up care than most people usually get. That's what Dr. Aaron Bunnell is trying to do in a virtual clinic he runs specifically for patients recovering from COVID. Bunnell is a rehabilitation medicine specialist at UW Medicine. He says that much as we might like it to be otherwise, this is going to be a long and complicated story. We tend to see the world through the kind of Hollywood vision of disease where you save the life, everybody high fives, and the show ends. But oftentimes the show hasn't actually ended And it can be a really lonely experience to 
be sick, have these deficits and not have anyone help you recover. Like we have this thing in America where if we are tired of something that it should be over, um, <laughs> but it isn't necessarily over. And you know, it really, this is a marathon recovery for a lot of people. As we think about the ways that this illness can linger, there's one more important point to make. We still don't know how much immunity people who have been sick and recovered will have, or how long it'll last. So for someone like Tammy Edwards, the nurse from Tacoma, there's not much relief there. In fact, because she knows better than anyone how awful this disease can be, she's doubly concerned about getting sick again. Brian and I are so weak, we can't even pick up our bowling balls to even try. Um... We thought about it, but it's not worth the risk. We don't hardly ever go out. It's very scary. And I've, and I've heard that uh, people that are two months out, you've lost your antibodies already. So we could probably get this again. You know, so if we go to the grocery store, he'll go in, he wears a mask. I just sit in the truck and uh, wait for him to come back because I don't want to uh, ever, ever get this again, ever. Transmission comes to you from the staff of KNKX, including Posey Gruner, Kevin Kniestead, and Jennifer Wing. Our executive producer is Florangela Davila. We hope you'll consider leaving a rating and review for Transmission on Apple Podcasts, and you can send feedback to outreach at knkx.org. I'm Gabriel Spitzer. Catch you next time on Transmission. Transmission.